0: Republican White House hopefuls campaign in Atlanta, except for the one who just got indicted. He doesn't recognize the legitimacy of the people running against him, doesn't want to do joint shared stage events. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein,
1: And I'm Patricia Murphy, and it's episode two of the new expanded version of our show with our newest edition, Georgia Political Broadcast Hall of Famer, Bill Nygut.
2: Today, we're going to dig into what's next as we wait for Donald Trump and his allies to turn themselves into the Fulton County Jail. Plus, we were going to have some of the Trump GOP challengers who are coming to town this weekend. We'll talk about that. And in a little while, Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell will share with us some of her exclusive interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene about Greene's future plans and her frustration with Brian Kemp
0: bill we have uh, no shortage of news think about it just over the next few days we have uh, this the gathering hosted by Eric Erickson that will bring in six presidential candidates not named Donald Trump We have at some point over the next week Donald Trump and his allies will surrender at the Fulton County Jail There is sort of wall-to-wall coverage There's about 300 reporters down at the Fulton County Jail at all moments just in case it happens at 2 a.m. in the morning And of course, we have the first Republican presidential debate next Wednesday So there's a lot to talk about if you're just joining us for the first time welcome We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. If you like what you hear, leave a review and share Politically Georgia with a friend. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC.
3: Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing.
0: And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Well, timing is everything, and Eric Erickson's long-planned Republican event called The Gathering is coincidentally taking place in Atlanta the same week as Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis indicted Donald Trump on conspiracy charges. Eric has long feuded with Donald Trump and says he doesn't want to mention his name once at the convention. Patricia, you had a chance to talk with Eric Erickson of WSB about why he didn't ask Trump to come.
3: When I first announced it, I said I I was going to invite Donald Trump uh, and intended to, but it's been very clear in the last eight, nine months that he doesn't recognize the legitimacy of the people running against him. doesn't want to do joint shared stage events. He didn't do Tucker Carlson or Kim Reynolds, and there's just no point in me going through the kabuki theater of, of, oh, I'm going to invite him and wait for him at the last minute to say no. So I just didn't even bother.
1: Yeah, Greg, so that was Erickson saying, you know, he's not blackballing Trump. He's not trying to get Trump not to come, but he just was being realistic. And is like, look, I could spend the next several months following up and asking him if he come, is he coming? And then maybe he doesn't even show up at all. Why not just focus on the other candidates? And for Republicans... They need to be doing this. I mean, there's a a less than even chance, but there is a chance that they're going to need a real plan B. And they also need voters to know who their options are other than this four times indicted former president. Um, So people know these people's names uh, for the most part, but I think it is going to be really helpful for Republican voters in that room in particular, it's about 1500 people um, to hear what these candidates think other than about the latest news about Donald Trump. They cannot go anywhere on the campaign trail and not have every question be about somebody else about Donald Trump. And they would really like to talk about their vision for the country. They would like to talk about their own experience. They'd like to talk about why they're running for president. And, and very few people ask them those questions just because of this unusual, unprecedented, totally bizarre situation they've got in the Republican Party. And so Erickson's going to create that kind of forum this weekend.
0: And Bill, let's go over who exactly is coming. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley. Former Vice President Mike Pence, Executive Vivek Ramaswamy, and U.S. Senator Tim Scott are all set to address the Atlanta event. I know that Eric told Patricia he doesn't want to mention Donald Trump's name once. This is not going to be about Trump. But, Bill, it's going to be hard to avoid Donald Trump's mounting legal problems, especially here in Georgia.
2: Well, of course, any number of the candidates you mentioned would prefer not to talk about Donald Trump at all. Certainly not. uh, Critically, Chris Christie being uh, the biggest exception, to that. But you know what? I was also thinking. Um, this is the second time Eric Erickson has not invited Donald Trump to a gathering. It used to be called Red State Gathering. In two thousand fifteen, we'll remember. We remember, Trump was disinvited at the last minute, after Eric Erickson became furious with the way that Trump attacked Megyn Kelly after their first debate. He was horrific in the way he talked about. Her as a woman. And Eric Erickson got up on the stage that first day. You'll remember this, Greg, and said, I told Trump he's not invited. We can't have that kind of behavior among our candidates.
0: There was this bitter Twitter feud that was the talk of Washington. It was hilarious because Eric, you know, Eric's a local guy, but he's also a national figure. And... It was all over Washington. I remember the news broke at, at I think it was at a bar <laughs> at the hotel the night before, and I had already gone home for the night but all the all the reporters staying in town kind of got the scoop and by the time we woke up we we quickly wrote it up too but man that was that was the big drama of that weekend and and Donald Trump of course did not end up coming and you know Eric has kind of gone a little not back and forth on Trump, but he's had um He's had some nice things to say about the former president. He had some not so nice things to say about the former president, but uh, he's clearly (laughs) on the non-invite list this time around, Patricia. But I'm glad um, Bill also mentioned Chris Christie, because we've seen most of these candidates sidestep the mountain of legal charges against Trump or, or condemn what they call the politicization of the justice system. But a few, like Chris Christie, have taken more aggressive steps to go after the former president. Patricia, do you think more candidates will end up following his lead or will they continue to stay on the sidelines of this one and not join in the condemnation of Donald Trump?
1: I think they're going to stay on the sidelines of this one, with the exception of Mike Pence, who has his own personal experience with um with exactly the topic, that is the subject of the indictment. In fact, he may even be a witness against Donald Trump in that uh, Georgia um, Georgia trial, if it gets to trial. Um, but I don't think other candidates are going to go hard at Donald Trump. They're all trying to do what Brian Kemp did, which was um, keep the Trump voters, but don't go too hard against Trump. Um, focus on your strengths. Focus on your own priorities. Don't attack Trump and hope that his people come along anyway. I don't. I think that was very possible for Kemp because he was in a governor's race. I don't really think it's possible for presidential candidates to be running against Donald Trump and not have a strong opinion about this craziness that has enveloped Donald Trump. And um, it's not serving them right now at all to be so kind of mealy-mouthed about Donald Trump and his situation. They need to, I think, come out um, just honestly. It doesn't have to be forcefully, just honestly. And what do you think about it? Where do you think this is all going? Right now, it all feels very poll-tested and unauthentic. Um, And I think that's why they're having such a hard time breaking through against Trump. They're not creating an alternative for Trump. They're just sort of standing next to Trump.
0: Well, speaking of Kemp, he is a co-sponsor of the event. He is donating about $100,000 in campaign contributions to help put it on. He's speaking. He has a prime speaking slot on Friday. He might also end up speaking Saturday. We'll be watching the agenda. But, Bill, he's been stressing to Republicans across the nation and, of course, here in Georgia, that Georgia is the premier battleground state, that Republicans simply can't win the White House without flipping Georgia back into the red column. But he's also got his work cut out for him in a state like Georgia, where Donald Trump still leads in the primary polls. Uh, We'll we'll know more about that next week when AJC has its own exclusive poll of Georgia Republican primary voters. But look, you know, we've seen the national polls. We've heard what Governor Kemp says. We've also heard Governor Kemp say that he is going to back the eventual Republican nominee, even if it is Donald Trump, the guy who tried to oust him from office last year.
2: Yeah, I, but, but I think the, the point to make, as you say, is that, that uh, uh, Kemp emphasizes that Georgia is a crucial state in 2024, and of course it is, which is, of course, one of the reasons that he has chosen to criticize Trump uh, on several occasions and say, let's talk about the future. We can't keep talking about an election in 2020, which, Donald Trump, you did lose. I, it, he goes back to think about the fact that um, it, it, the U.S. Senate runoffs in the aftermath of Joe Biden's victory in Georgia, many people believe uh, the Republican candidates lost because Trump kept talking about the fraudulent election, discouraged voters, Republican voters from turning out at the polls, Made the whole runoff campaign of Kelly Leffler and uh, um, uh, David Perdue uh, about a fake, what he called the fraudulent election. and And so Kemp, very, very correctly, is saying we're a big state, an important state. We have to move forward. And Trump is not helping us do that right now.
0: And Patricia, Kemp is balancing however he treats. The the former president, with also a couple other things going on in his mind, he might end up being a star witness in the trial whenever that kicks off. He was one of the people who got a direct phone call from the former president urging him to call a special legislative session to overturn the results of the 2020 election. And of course, the governor has his own ambitions in mind. Not only does he have the rest of a second term in office to worry about, he also might end up running for U.S. Senate in 2026 or even higher office down the road.
1: Yeah, but you know, I think you have to give Kemp credit in this moment because since we know he does have further ambitions beyond the governor's office, possibly. Um, The easiest course right now would be just to lay low. He's not on any ballot. Um, Don't say anything. Don't rock the boat. However, he came out this week really forcefully after Donald Trump promised to have a all caps report to completely exonerate him in Georgia and proven that it was, quote, rigged and stolen, which, of course, it wasn't. Um, Kemp came out quickly and said, The 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen. Now, that is just about the first time I can remember Kemp saying that exactly. Um, But it was hugely important for him to do because as Trump was pushing this message again. I mean, again, after three years, it was catching on on the right. It was catching on on the right. We saw conservative commentators um, and even some Georgia uh, Republicans saying, yeah, what about that? What about all the stuff that was rigged and stolen? Kemp just can't take that chance here in this state. The state can't take that chance here in this state. They've got to have voters believe in the voting systems. And Kemp, by tweeting that, made a really strong statement that these systems are trustworthy and that kind of leadership, you you have to call it leadership, because then Pence and Christie came out and said, yes, Brian Kemp is right.
2: Before we move on, I'd, I'd love to go back to the gathering for a moment because I'd love to hear you two and your take on this. Tim Scott, although certainly lagging in all of the national polls and in Iowa right now as well, does seem to be picking up some momentum in Iowa. There have been uh, pieces about him recently there that um, his uh, fervent religious beliefs are resonating with evangelical voters in Iowa, his positive approach to campaigning, um, and yet his very conservative philosophy seems to be having some impact. And if um, Ron DeSantis continues to fall in the polls... Um, is Tim Scott the one who might gain a little traction? So I'm really looking forward to hearing from Tim Scott, particularly Greg and Patricia.
0: I am, too. If there's one candidate who I actually have kind of put at the top of my list, it is Tim Scott, because when I talk to Georgia Republicans who are not enamored of the former president, it's not DeSantis they talk about as much as Tim Scott. Many Georgia Republicans are, are close to Tim Scott. Uh, you know, he's... he. He's not far from from Georgia, of course, being right across the state line in South Carolina. And they, they, they seem to like the optimistic vision he has. And he's also managed not to alienate the MAGA hardliners. Patricia?
1: So Tim Scott has a big opportunity in Iowa, I think. It's the kind of state that's small enough, those voters are dialed in enough, and they are um, conservative, religious voters. And it gave Rick Santorum a huge opportunity. In 2012, I covered that race. And Santorum won those Iowa caucuses out of nowhere, purely based on his individual relationships with Iowa precinct captains and voters. And Tim Scott is in that same mold of conservative, Christian, sincere, um, and uh, easy to connect with candidates. So I think he's got an opening in Iowa. Whether he has the money to continue out of Iowa will be the big question, but you just want to win Iowa first and worry about the rest later.
0: Remember, this Republican gathering is playing out with the first GOP debate on the horizon so we could see the candidates fine-tune some of their arguments for what could be a real inflection point in the race for the presidency. Coming up, we're going to hear from AJC Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell on an exclusive interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze.
3: Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on.
4: Only from the Atlanta Journal Constitution.
0: And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. With all the news and chaos surrounding the Trump indictment, it's going to be hard to keep up. So the AJC is putting all of our coverage into one place with our brand new Trump indictment newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, indictment newsletter. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Your one-stop shop for Donald Trump news in Georgia. Okay, we're back with AJC Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell, who broke some big news this week with an interview with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene that came shortly after Governor Kemp's rebuke of Donald Trump. She wasn't too happy. Let's listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments on the governor and then hear Tia's analysis.
5: What he did today, tweeting out, arguing with President Trump about the 2020 election, it, it was a very bad. He had an opportunity to be a hero. He could be. He could be railing against uh, Fonnie Willis abusing her power as a prosecutor, not being impartial um fundraising off of her uh, indictment of President Trump for her 2023 campaign he could be he could be reining in and he could be stopping what she's doing as a Republican governor but instead he came out and wants to you know basically argue with President Trump all in an effort to defend his, uh, his own ego and Republican voters in Georgia are not going to be very forgiving of that. They're seeing this right now is either, either you're standing up and stopping what we call communism. We see this as communism because this is what we see in communist countries around the world. If Republican leaders like Governor Kemp, I'll go like Mitch McConnell, like Kevin McCarthy, any Republican leader, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, namely Ron DeSantis, who's also one of President Trump's opponents, if they are not... Stopping this, using their power to stop this, or or, or standing up against it. Republican, but they're arguing with President Trump. Um, that voters are going to see that as they are standing on the same team as Fonnie Willis, Merrick Garland, Jack Smith, um, Alvin Bragg, all of these other Democrats who are abusing and weaponizing their power to go after Joe Biden's top political opponent. And I, I am very upset to see our our Georgia Republican governor um, not, his message should have been against this, not arguing with President Trump about the election and making it about his own ego and pride over Georgia's election. That was a bad statement, and I was very upset over it.
4: Kemp's people are saying it's not so much he's, defending Fonnie Willis he's defending the integrity of the election and saying you know Trump keeps saying the election was stolen so you know Brian Kemp is saying every time he says that I'm just setting the record straight so I just want to make sure I'm clear what are your thoughts about the fact that Trump do you agree you still believe the election was stolen as well like where are you because that's what Kemp is saying it's like Trump is not telling the no, truth. No, what
5: I'm what I'm saying is he didn't denounce what Bonnie Willis is doing. Instead, he came out and wanted to argue about the 2020 election, which in most everybody I've talked to today, and I've talked to a lot of people, and they're Republican voters in Georgia, and, and I'm telling you, it puts him on the same side as Bonnie Willis. He did not denounce her. He did not denounce her ridiculous witch hunt and her outrageous, charges of racketeering it's rico charges and and these charges against other republicans in the state our governor republican governor did not denounce any of that so basically by not denouncing that he is on the same side as them and i'll go further to you i know there's a lot of talk of him wanting to run for senate in 2026 against john ossoff and it's not very smart To go into a Republican primary for a statewide Senate race, I don't care how many statewide races you have won, if you're going to have on your uh, resume, so to speak, for Republican governors, that you, as, as governor of the state of Georgia, that you did not stand up and stop communism when it happened in your state.
0: Tia, this was a remarkable interview because we knew that Governor Kemp and Marjorie Taylor Green are not exactly on the same, you know, the same uh, play sheet right now. Uh, they're both Republicans, but Marjorie Taylor Green is closely aligned with the former president. Brian Kemp is more mainstream Republican. But this was the first time we've really heard in depth Marjorie Taylor Green take a vivid shots at the governor and really further deepen the rift between them and, it, and set up, you know, what could be a, a challenge or a rivalry going into twenty twenty six. Yeah, it was very
4: interesting. Marjorie Taylor Greene represents those Republicans who feel like fealty to Donald Trump is something that all members of the party should align with. And if not, they question your conservative credentials. You know, it's really Trump above all else, you know, because policy-wise, there's not a lot of differentiation between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Brian Kemp. But, and it's not even, for Marjorie Taylor Greene, which I think is so interesting about what she said, you can't even push back on, on Donald Trump. You can't appear to undermine whatever he says, you can't appear to um, criticize him. Because as we know, even in this strong statement that Governor Kemp put out, he has not gone after Donald Trump in a personal way. He hasn't criticize Donald Trump to the point of, you know, saying you've lied and I will no longer support you. He even made it clear that if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, he will still support him. But for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's not enough. You cannot be perceived as criticizing Trump at all. So the question is, how right is she? You know, because yes, Governor Kemp won handily in 2022 another term he beat you know the David Perdue challenge from the right David Perdue was Trump endorsed he did all these things but what he didn't do was directly hit Donald Trump he you know refrained even when Donald Trump would say not so nice things about him he refrained from hitting back. The question is, is Marjorie Taylor Greene, is there a limit on how far Brian Kemp can go in challenging Donald Trump and still be able to carry the Republican Party in a primary?
0: And what Brian Kemp's team would say is scoreboard, you know, 52-point victory over the last pro-Trump challenger who went up against him and and former Senator David Perdue. Uh, Tia, you also got Brian Kemp and Tia, you also got Marjorie Taylor Greene to talk more about her future plans, where she talked not just about a potential 2026 challenge, but also about what could be in store in 2024.
4: So two quick questions. Number one, is this, you know, there are rumors that you're considering running for Senate and if it would be a primary between you and Kemp, are you moving in that direction?
5: I have never said I am running for Senate. <laughs> so I love the rumors. And I haven't made up my mind whether I will do that or not. Um, I'm, I'm also, uh, I have a lot of things to think about. I I think about, am I going to be a part of President Trump's cabinet if he wins? Uh, is it possible that I'll be VP? Um, do I want to run it for Senate in Georgia? There's a lot of things I consider. Um, but I, I have no solid plans in any direction.
4: And you would be VP if Trump asked?
5: Oh, I would, I would consider that uh, very, very heavily. It would be an honor, but I would definitely consider it and, and think a lot about it.
4: Um, Trump has announced a big press conference on Monday um, saying that it'll show that he did nothing wrong. Are you going to Bedminster? Are you planning to do anything in support of President Trump?
5: I am, of course, supporting him 100%, not only here in Georgia and his campaign, but nationally. Um, and I'll be at the Iowa State Fair this weekend. And it looks like my uh, set travel plans will not allow me to be at
4: Bedminster. Are you going to Iowa with Trump or in support of Trump? Just tell me more about your Iowa oh, State Fair. Oh.
5: Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. It's going to be so much fun. Um, I'm going there uh, uh, on behalf of him as a surrogate and as, uh, with the Trump campaign. We've got a full day lined up, all kinds of fun things. Um, I think there's axe throwing, oh, feeding baby animals, which I literally cannot wait for. I, You know, I'm a mom, so being a woman, that just is, sounds like so much fun. Um, we'll be, I guess, seeing... All the different fair food, the rides, I think there's some games involved, so it will be a full day. I think it'll be a lot of fun.
4: Well, thank you so much. I
0: appreciate your time.
5: Uh, Thank you, Tia.
0: Tia, what do you think about not just Marjorie Taylor Greene as a potential VP candidate, but something else in 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 a possible Donald Trump administration?
4: Yeah, it's interesting because in January, when there were first rumors that Marjorie Taylor Greene was interested in serving as Donald Trump's running mate, she kind of was like acting like she wasn't happy and it was a distraction. And these were people who were not allies with her, putting these rumors out there against her will. That's what she said in January. But now today, she's like, yeah, I'm open to being in Trump's cabinet, and I would be honored if he asked me to serve as his vice president. So that's interesting. That's a little bit of a change of tone. And then, you know, shortly before the recess when they left, so sometime I think in July or so, I asked her here in Washington about the rumors that she might be interested in, in running for Senate. which would you know the rumors are that brian kemp wants to run for senate in 2026 that's the ossoff seat so that would mean a potential kemp v green republican primary and when i asked her about that then she was like i'm not thinking about that i don't know where it came from Um, but now she's like hey who knows i might be running for senate you know and again to me that's that's I'm sure she'd consider it because most elected officials will consider any race that they think they can win. So, in that way, it's not that surprising. But I think it's also her, again, sending a message to Brian Kemp that, hey, if I think you're not going to fall in line and you're not going to be a good conservative, there are people like me who will consider challenging you. Now, of course, we know Brian Kemp is very confident. He and his advisors are confident he can win a primary. But just like we saw in 2022 could there be a challenger from the right should he plan to run for senate he should probably count on it
0: laying down the gauntlet tia we know you have to go but thank you so much for joining us for this segment of politically georgia podcast thanks guys bill whenever i raise the possibility in crowds of democrats or mainstream republicans that marjorie taylor green could be a statewide or maybe even federal candidate, there are audible gasps. But this interview, as it made clear, Marjorie Taylor Greene has ambitions beyond a congressional seat.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was. I thought what Tia got out of Marjorie Taylor Greene was just extraordinary. Great work, Tia. Um, and of course, you also know, Greg, whenever uh, any of us in media spend a lot of time talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, we get pushback from... Uh, particularly Democrats who say stop talking about her. You're just giving her more publicity and more attention. But the reality is you have to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. One quick um, item about that. Um, Patricia, I don't know if you noticed it, but what I was interested in, among many other things, was Green suggested that that Kemp should have stopped Fonnie Willis um, in terms of this indictment. And And what I thought about is... Is she? Does she think that he's Governor Ron DeSantis, who in Florida, of course we know, has now removed two district attorneys who he feels are too liberal to be able to uh, safely oversee uh, crime in uh, their own territories. And I couldn't help but wonder if Marjorie Taylor Greene was thinking that Brian Kemp should move in the same direction.
1: I'm sure she thinks everyone should move in to start removing judges and uh, district attorneys. And Kim Kemp, <laughs> Kemp did call for that um, bill to now start to oversee newly elected DAs, or really all DAs, yes. but that was really spurred by um, the multiple new DAs around the state who are more progressive um, and have really different views on the criminal justice system than Brian Kemp does. So, um, you know, if they sat down and talked about it, they might find some com- common ground. But, you know, to Greg's point, I mean, Kim. Trump has been down this road before. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said if he was paying attention, he would uh, say different things to GOP primary voters if he wanted to win state li- statewide and talk about the election differently. He lived through that. He won by more than 50 points in his own GOP primary. Um, and I'm positive his team is not looking for tips on how to do it again from Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. And yeah, SB 92 is that bill, the DA oversight measure that allows the state, gives the state new powers to sanction or even oust prosecutors and sponsors, of course, never brought up Fonnie Willis. They never brought up the Fulton County potential indictments at the time it was potential. Um, but of course, it's impossible to divorce that from the fact that you know this gives new powers to do so. So uh, there will be calls and there already have been calls um, from some of Donald Trump's loyalists out there to use this new law against Fonnie Willis. And now we've heard Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greens ask Kemp to use powers he doesn't have right now to do so. I think we're going to see a lot of that, Patricia, in the not-so-near future. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about Donald Trump's latest scenario and when he could surrender the Fulton County Jail. This is Politically Georgia with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
4: Hill hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song
0: And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Your hosts, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, and Bill Nygett here. We're also some of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access, just 99 cents. That is subscribe.ajc.com podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Meanwhile, as of this taping bill, we still don't know when Donald Trump or his key allies will surrender at the Fulton County Jail. Fonnie Willis, the district attorney, set a deadline for next Friday at noon where we're told that surrender negotiations are underway and the jail reminded us it is open 24-7. So anytime (laughs) Donald Trump wants to show up, he can show up.
2: Um, and we don't know exactly because, as you point out, there are negotiations underway. How will he enter the jail? I'm not as familiar with that Fulton County jail facility, so I don't know where the underground entrance might be, the back door entrance that can where he can avoid the media might be. I assume, Greg, that there are ways to get him in the building uh, uh, without the media seeing him walk in.
0: Uh, do you know? Yeah, well, I know the building is ringed right now with cameras, and yeah. the Fulton County Sheriff has said, hey, he'll treat him like any other uh, defendant, including fingerprinting and mug shots. So we'll see. A, that perp, comes. Walk a perp walk for Donald Trump. Everything. can you imagine? <laughs> uh, but, you know, in terms of the, the date, and Patricia, I know we batted this around, but there could very well be, a, I know that Donald Trump's team is also talking about this, there could very well be a, a surrender on Wednesday, the same day as the Republican debate, as of this taping, it's still not certain whether he, w- he will participate in the Republican debate up in Milwaukee. But can you imagine? But can you imagine the counter programming of stealing the thunder of this Republican debate without him on the stage, while he surrenders to authorities in Fulton County and uses that basically as a de facto campaign stop?
1: I mean, Donald Trump is programming the ultimate reality show. We cannot turn our eyes away. Republican voters won't be able to turn their eyes away. And at the Republican debate, whether he's there or not, it will be the first question. These candidates will be asked again and again about the last election, about the last president. What do they think? What would they do? Would they pardon him? The entire Republican ecosystem has been blotted out by the shadow of Donald Trump. um, And it's because he's so good at this game. Um, Now the legal system may catch up with him. It's currently catching up with him. But as long as he continues to find ways to make it his strength and not his weakness, there's really very little price for him to pay in the meantime.
0: Bill, one thing that's come to light amid all this is a little known Georgia law. case law that allows the release of the names of the grand jurors. Now, some Donald Trump supporters are posting those names and purported addresses on social media and on fringe websites, and they're facing threats. Local authorities are now forced to step up security amid all this backlash. I don't think a lot of people realize that that was a provision that was allowed in Georgia law, but a lot of people were shocked right now.
2: It, it's really, really troubling, um, it, it, it's, it, it's and we've already heard that, that as a result of this, there may be some changes in the statute that requires releasing the names of grand jurors, but in the meantime, um, yes, there are some right-wing uh, agitators who are releasing those addresses. We have no idea what can happen next. There are pictures of some of them going up on Uh, dark web websites what's also interesting is some of the people who are posting these names and addresses may be confusing the name of an actual grand juror with someone else who has the same name and this is just another sign that um, Donald Trump and his allies in the way in which they have attacked the justice system are once again whipping up a frenzy among their people it's terribly distressing
0: our friend anthony michael christ who is a constitutional law professor at georgia state university has some useful context about this this actually dates to a 1914 state supreme court decision in a bootlegger case that determined that all names of grand jurors should be incorporated in an indictment so basically a 110 year old ish case is now dictating how one of the most high-profile trials in Georgia is is being conducted in terms of releasing the names of these grand jurors, Patricia.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's inappropriate to start to review some of our 1914 um, uh, traditions and go back and think twice about those in the modern political era. Certainly that was done in order to make sure that the uh, grand jury wasn't stacked with buddies of the accused and just letting them off the hook, um, or vice versa. However, by making those names public, it is way too easy to imagine how that could go terribly wrong. People's addresses are available in an instant. There are too many people in this state that we know of who are ready to hop in their car, even fly down from Chicago, as a matter of fact, to go talk to people and tell them they're in danger. And they're not wrong. So I think it's time to revisit that. And um, we really do know that security is going to continue to be of the utmost concern, not just for this trial, but really for um, the political public public square from now on, we've reached a whole different level of rhetoric of um, violent threats. We have um, most public officials I could think of have personal protection right now because of this incredibly heated, dangerous time in American politics. And it's a really sad time, but it's also time to be really vigilant and realistic about um, the kind of information and exposure we're heaping upon people who are willing to be a part of it, even though they typically live their life in a private capacity.
2: Um, You know, Greg, the other thing that I thought about in terms of this, the last podcast, we talked about the fact that Fonnie Willis, when she stood up and announced the indictments to the media, um, used words that were chilling, saying that Donald Trump was the head of a criminal racketeering enterprise. And we said, you know, that's the kind of language used for the mob when a big mob figure is indicted. And here's something similar about this. If you have names and addresses of these grand jurors, if they are going to be intimidated by supporters of Donald Trump, what does that say when you go and try to pick a jury in these cases and how fearful some people may be of serving on a jury? Um, It's different. I understand in a jury, they can protect the jurors, but nevertheless, in the same way as with a mob case, do people want to testify? If they're afraid there could be repercussions if they testify against Donald Trump, could some jurors, even if they're told their identities are protected in a different way, uh, be concerned about that? It's it's just a very frightening prospect.
0: And we've certainly seen how hard it is to see a juror in the, in the uh, YSL trial in Fulton County that has gone on for months now. Okay, now it is time for our listener mailbag. You can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Producer Jay Black, what do we got for the week? Uh, my,
1: my first question is, uh, where were you and your catchers met at the big AJC softball versus AJC softball
0: game yesterday? You mean you're talking about me? And my, it's yeah. a first baseman, Jay. Oh, it's a Jay. first baseman, okay. And, yes, I'm a first baseman, not a shortstop. And I was doing TV and then had to pick up my kids from tennis. And so I got an out from that Wednesday night game. But, you know, Jay, I'm going to miss a couple of these Wednesday night games because I know next week I'll be in Milwaukee for the Republican debate. So definitely miss that one. And it's just a tough time. But that's okay, because you're there. All right, now time for the mailbag questions. First up.
5: Hello, this is April in Lowburn, Georgia. Just a comment that I'm so excited to see Bill Niget on your list of persons for Friday's show. Happy to have him back. And you guys are amazing. Have a great Friday. Bye.
2: I. What do I say? That's so lovely. I, and And I've already said this to you. I am so glad I get to work with you, Greg, you, Patricia, Tia, and the rest of the AJC team. I am just really couldn't be happier.
1: We're going to have to come up with a nickname for our uh, super fans, you know, as we take this thing uh, daily and put it on WABE radio. So we'll be taking nominations uh, for, for what we call the fan, super fans of the podcast. All right, next up, Cassie from Atlanta.
5: I'm wondering if now that the indictments are out, um, if now we'll get to see the full report from the special grand jury.
0: Good question, Cassie. And I can tell you that our colleague Tamar Hallerman went back and spoke to members of the special grand jury and asked them that very question. And several of them told her that they hoped that, that report was now made public because look, they worked on it for eight months. Uh, they, they feel like it's ready to be seen now that we have indictments released. So we hope to see it, too. And <laughs> we filed all sorts of motions in order to try to make it more transparent. And I think it just depends on uh, what what litigation comes out, and what, what, what the judge, the new judge in this case, Judge McAfee, rules. What else we got, Jay?
5: Hey, this is Rich for the Politically Georgia podcast. Uh, questions are... Is anybody besides Fonnie Willis pursuing a case against Burt Jones since he was a fake elector, but she was conflicted? And what happens if uh, the case outlives Bonnie Jones's
1: term
4: and she decides not to continue on in her current capacity? Thank you.
1: Okay, two excellent questions. The first question about Burt Jones, yes, he's had a major change in status. Once this case came to an indictment, the prosecuting attorney's counsel announced that they will soon be um, appointing a special investigator to go back in and look at Burt Jones as a potential target of this investigation. Of course, he was carved off and put to the side after Fonnie Willis threw a fundraiser for Burt Jones's opponent, his Democratic opponent, uh, the judge in the case, Robert McBurney, um, said, boy, that was a huge mistake. And now we need to pull Burt Jones off as a potential target, because that's just inappropriate and political conduct on behalf of the prosecutor be that as it may this investigation now will be kick-started up against um burt jones again um jones was one of those people ever present during the donald trump um challenge in 2020 he was pushing for a special session he was in washington on january 5th about to deliver a letter to vice president mike pence encouraging him uh, not to recognize the electoral ballots from states that he was heavily involved in this situation. We now have 19 defendants in the process. And Burt Jones, I'm sure, is now talking to legal counsel because it looks like he's about to get a hard look as well.
0: And Patricia, he's told our AJC colleague, Maya Prabhu, that he is looking forward to telling the truth about his side of the story in that he's also gone on a, a, a number of conservative media outlets basically saying the prosecution is a farce and that he will be exonerated. So uh, I, I think he, at least judging by his public comments, he's actually looking forward to this phase so he can he can get his side of the story out. Jay, what else we got? All right, last one from Northwest Georgia.
5: Hey, Greg and Patricia, I'm a huge fan of the show. My name is Clay, I live in Wrangell, Georgia. I know y'all get a lot of questions about who's going to run for what, for the governor's rights, especially on the Democratic side. Um, and I just want to know why y'all never mention Charlie Bailey. I think he has the broadest appeal. And in the 2022 election, he actually had the closest margin of any of the Democrats who um, ran in that state election. Big fan of the show. Just wondering what y'all's thoughts are on uh, Charlie Bailey. Thanks. Bye bye.
1: Well, speak of the devil, Charlie Bailey is the candidate who Fonnie Willis threw a fundraiser for. Um, So uh, we have not heard recently from Charlie Bailey. He did perform well-ish in the 2022 elections. He also performed um, well-ish in the 2018 elections, but he's gone 0 for 2. Um, uh, If he's continuing to be interested in running for election, he's obviously going to need to convert. To do something a little different um, to get to a majority of voters, but certainly he's well liked in the Democratic Party. Um, did put up um, good votes during those general elections, so you know I'm sure if he's interested, he'll take another take another run at it.
0: I think he's starting to tiptoe back out there, Patricia. I saw him. Uh, along with a lot of other Georgia officials, but I saw him on some cable TV shows uh, this past few days. He, of course, was a former line prosecutor and assistant district attorney in Fulton County. So he knows, uh, not only does he know Fonnie Willis really well, but he also knows how that office operates pretty well. So there are many national and local media outlets looking to him as an expert as this case develops. Okay, now it is time for our favorite segment of the week, Who's Up and Who's Down. And since we always like to end on a high note, let's start with who's down. Patricia, who you got?
1: Greg, my who's down is the clerk of the Fulton County Courthouse. Accidentally posted the indictment against Donald Trump a little bit too early. It was a placeholder document, but all of the conservative Twitter sphere freaked out and created conspiracy theories about what happened, why in the world, what's going on. That lasted for 12 hours until um, the uh, clerk's office came out and said, yes, actually, that was an accident. It was further confused by Fannie Willis calling that a fictitious document, which it wasn't quite fictitious, it was just not final. Um, But so, boy, that's gotta be the worst moment of a clerk's career to have that happen and have a former president be included in it.
0: Oh man, yeah, and fuel all sorts of conspiracy theories. That's a good who's down for the week. My who's down is State Senator Colton Moore and others who are peddling pro-Trump fantasies about this to the MAGA wing of the party. We wrote about how far-right activists are pushing for sweeping changes to state pardons rules that are politically impossible to pass. And Colton Moore, a freshman state center with very little influence in the chamber, is going viral with a call for a special session petition that was signed by exactly one person when he un- unveiled it, him, himself. It-, it calls for a special session to review Fonnie Willis. It also stands zero chance of getting the three-fifths majority it would need uh, to force a special session. Look, these guys are going to get a lot of attention. <clears throat> They're going to even raise some money uh, for these calls, but they are bending the truth and they are trying to fool a giant segment of the Republican Party with these calls. Bill, what do you got?
2: I have 67,000 people who are down, children and teenagers. It's been a week now since Ariel Hart reported in the AJC that as the state unwinds people on Medicaid, remember that during the pandemic... Uh, people who may not have been continued to be eligible for Medicaid. And there are legitimate reasons for taking some people off the rolls, but they suspended that. And now that we have the official end, the government end of the pandemic, they're starting to unwind people on Medicaid. And Ariel Hart reported last week, 67,000 children and teenagers in Georgia have lost their coverage. 63,000 of them are off simply because paperwork by their parents or guardians, whatever, wasn't filed. And in many cases, they may not have known they needed to file that paperwork. And she also reported that some are learning it as they go to the doctor. And the doctor says, oh, you no longer have coverage. It's a terribly, terribly um, unfortunate situation. And I cannot stop thinking about it.
0: Um, uh, Well, on a lighter note, Patricia, Who's your who's up for the week? My who's up
1: for the week, Greg is Eric Erickson. He got he's got a really impressive who's who of who's coming to his gathering this weekend. Vice President Mike Pence, um, Ron DeSantis, the Florida Governor, Chris Christie, Brand Kemp. Ted Cruz is coming over from Texas. So he's got a, a he's got a heavy duty guest list coming. Um, I think that speaks to his influence and, um, his increasing and continuing, um, sway inside the Republican party. These candidates want to take part of their weekend to fly across the country to be with him. That's really a big deal. Um, also I talked with him at length, um, for my interview earlier this week, Mm -hmm. and he's just in a really interesting personal place. He, um, he and his wife both have had terrible health scares, but they are both doing well, and he seems to be living a life that's really aligned with his values, and he just seems very at peace and professionally having a good run as well. So he's for
0: <laughs> sure my Who's Up. Bill, who do you got for Who's Up for this week?
2: Well, I hope I pronounce her name right. Who's Up for me is Katie Rinderly or Rinderle, uh, the Cobb County teacher, who we believe was the first teacher in the state... Uh, to be uh, suspended and accused of violating the new divisive concepts law because she read her students, her grade school students, a book that many thought uh, was about uh, gender identity and the like. And um, so it went to a a, a tribunal in Cobb County, a three-person tribunal, that had to decide uh, to recommend whether she should be dismissed for her job because she violated allegedly the divisive concepts law, Um, the tribunal said, no, she didn't. Now the school board will ultimately make the decision on whether she should be dismissed or not. But one of the reasons that's particularly interesting is I think one of the things that the hearing around this before the tribunal made clear is just how vague, many teachers believe this divisive concepts law is. They're not sure exactly how to deal with it.
0: Which is exactly the uncertainty that critics warn would sort of, you know, influence the education process. And a
1: producer's note here, after we recorded this podcast, the teacher was fired by the Cobb County School Board. You can read more on AJC.com, but we did leave Bill's comment in so you can get some of the context of this story.
4: Now back to the show.
0: Bill, my my who's up for the week are the Georgians from both parties who sometimes felt like lonely voices back in 2020 repeating over and over and over again that Donald Trump was promoting lies about the Georgia election. Trump and his allies are innocent, of course, until proven guilty. But now we have a growing number of national Republican leaders echoing Governor Brian Kemp, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and pretty much every Democrat in Georgia in saying that the 2020 election was not stolen. It was not rigged. It was free and fair. And we heard silence from many of those national Republican figures during that same period in 2020 who are now acknowledging the facts, which is Georgia's election was free and fair and is not the subject of widespread voting fraud. Well, that is all for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC
1: Indictment Newsletter.